Thank you guys. Can you hear me okay? So I've been to many events like these and I've never had a slow clap. That's a first. So thank you guys. I met a guy named Cameron earlier, and I had my first interaction ever with a Cameron where I blew his mind because I introduced myself as Cameron, and he thought I was guessing his name. So I've had two firsts tonight, so it's been a wild night, guys. So I'm super excited to be here with you all. Uh, before I get in uh, to what I'm going to speak about tonight, I, I wanted to just maybe try to connect what I'm doing with what your, your uh, sermon series have typically been about. So I was told that you guys have been going through this acronym called faith, so faithfulness, availability, uh, I was going to say initiability, initiative, teachability, and heart for people in God. Well, tonight, I'm going to be hitting on that T, that teachability. So keep that in mind as I go through what I'm going to go through tonight. Um, and then before I pray and before I jump in, I just want to say one comment. I don't think any of you have ever heard me speak before, so I don't think so. So you guys don't know my style. There's not going to be a lot of jokes or funny stories. There's going to be a lot of Bible and serious Bible engagement. So um, you guys have notes in front of you. You have fill in the blanks, but there's going to be a lot of Bible verses and things I'm going to say. So don't feel like you have to write everything down because I can give you my notes, my outline, whatever you'd like. And you can just sit back, think, and engage with me. That's my theology of preaching and teaching. I want you all to meet God here in the Word. And that's my goal and my aspiration. So if you'd like that, you can come see me at the back, and I can give you my email, and I can send you what I have. And if any of you are interested in seminary, I'd be happy to talk with you about that as well. But that's another topic for another time. I'm here to share the word with you guys, so please, before we do, let's go to our Lord in prayer before we jump in. Our great God and Savior, we do thank you, our Lord, that you are good. That you are good when we are not. Oh, Lord, we know that you are good because you sent your Son into the world. Lord, your only Son, the Son whom you love, you sent to save sinners like us. And God, we know that without your grace, we cannot move forward in life because we are not good. Oh, Lord, we pray now that as we open up your word, that you would teach us and that you'd give us hearts that are humble and willing to receive your word, that we would be teachable, oh, Lord, so that we could teach others what you have taught us. And Lord, I do pray that now you'd move through your spirit, through your holy word, that your saints would be encouraged and edified, and that those who are here who do not know you would have their hearts open and their eyes open to see the truth and their need for a savior. Oh God, and I pray for myself that as I speak, I would speak with your power and with your clarity, oh God. And we pray that you would build your church. And we do thank you that your word says that where your word is spoken, it's like rain upon the ground and produces fruit. And we do pray that you'd produce fruit now for your kingdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So what if I told you guys tonight, on this very night, that I could teach you how to obtain a treasure that is far more precious than the finest jewel? A treasure which, in comparison to all your other earthly desires, is incomparable in value. And what if I told you that I would gladly give you a gift that is better than gold and silver? Yes, in fact, better than any gold and silver that you could find. And friends, there is a treasure that I can give you tonight. There is a treasure like this that the Bible says above all other treasures that you should get. A treasure which, in comparison to all else that you might try to get, 
is a getting more valuable than all else that can be got while the getting is good. That's the gift that I want to give you. Friends, do you know what that treasure is? This invaluable and incomparable treasure is wisdom. Now, I know that wisdom is not something that our culture prizes much anymore in comparison to the values of, say, youthfulness or expertise or experience or things like self-expression or authenticity. But the Bible says that in comparison to all other earthly goods, wisdom and wisdom alone is like a precious ruby that's hidden among the rocks. Listen to how Proverbs describes wisdom in Proverbs 3, verses 13 to 15. It says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver and profit from gold. Wisdom is more precious than jewels and nothing else you desire can compare with wisdom. It says again in Proverbs 8, for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with wisdom. And then Proverbs 16 says as much, how much better to get wisdom than to get gold, to get understanding rather than cho chosen silver. Now, does the world say things like that to you? Do you hear those sorts of things in your classrooms that the most precious thing that you can get in the world that's far more valuable than gold and silver is not fame it's not notoriety it's not even lots of money or success it's wisdom wisdom is the most valuable treasure that you can get and now what i would like us to do is to consider wisdom's importance in the life of a follower of christ and then to do this, our message is going to unfold in three parts. So we're going to try to see how a Christ follower can grow in wisdom. And we're going to look at it in three ways. First, we're going to look at a text in Proverbs that divides individuals along two lines as it regards their response to wisdom and their willingness to be teachable. Second, we're then going to survey what Proverbs says about those two individuals and how they respond to wisdom and how they respond to wisdom's call to be teachable. And then third, we're going to consider some very practical ways how the followers of Christ can grow in wisdom. So that's our plan tonight. So let's look at that first question. How does the Bible, how does the book of Proverbs talk about two people and how they respond to the call of wisdom. Now, before I do that, I need to take a step back and introduce you to the book of Proverbs and the concept of wisdom itself, because I know not everyone here may have read the book of Proverbs. So let me just take a minute or two and explain the background of the book to you and then wisdom itself. So Christians have generally affirmed that King Solomon is the one who penned most, if not all, of the book of Proverbs. And for those of you who know the scripture, remember King Solomon was a very important figure in Israel. He was the second king, uh, sorry, the third king after King Saul, King David, and there's King Solomon. And now God had told Solomon, Solomon, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And do you remember what Solomon said? Solomon didn't ask for riches or for success or power. He asked for wisdom. 
And then God says this when Solomon gave him that answer. Solomon, I will give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before you and none like you shall rise after you. And then later it says of King Solomon that his wisdom and his understanding were beyond measure and the breadth of his mind was like the sand on the seashore. And it was said that his wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all men. There was none like him before him, nor was there ever gonna be one like him after. It was said that he spoke 3,000 Proverbs. So then it's quite likely that this book of Proverbs is the compilation of the best of his proverbial sayings. And then most scholars would agree that the book of Proverbs itself, this collection of wise sayings, was most likely this sort of manual that Solomon had put together as he was trying to raise his sons. That's why throughout the book of Proverbs, you hear this admonition to my son or to my sons. And even Solomon talks about that when he was at his father's knee, he taught him wisdom. So then it's quite likely that this book of Proverbs was this sort of kingly training manual because Israel saw that the most important quality their kings could have was wisdom. For as Solomon said, what king could lead your great people, O God? Only a king that has wisdom. And then the book itself breaks roughly into three parts. In chapters one through nine, you see these cyclical speeches where King Solomon, before he introduces his sons to all these wisdom sayings, he warns them, beware of the wayward woman. He warns them to beware of folly, beware of the wicked. And he admonishes them again and again, pursue wisdom, listen to my words. And then the second section of the book is from chapters 10 to 29, and that's just proverb after proverb after proverb with seemingly no structure. I've tried to find a structure, I can't find one. Third, in the last two chapters, you have these two collections of sayings from people who are not Solomon. And these two sections seem to summarize the entirety of the book's wisdom. And then the book ends, and it's probably one of the most famous parts of Proverbs, with what's called the proverbial woman in Proverbs 31. And contrary to how that's typically used, that section is not so much a declaration of what all, wisdom, uh, what all women should strive to be, which is true, don't get me wrong, but more so it's this is the encapsulation of what lady wisdom is like. Because lady wisdom has been a key figure of the entire book, and that's how the book ends, with lady wisdom being personified at the end. So now having said that, let me define for you what wisdom is. So wisdom, friends, is not merely knowing the truth. That's knowledge. So wisdom is not merely one's knowing the truth, but it is one's right use of truth given the way the world actually is. So let me say that again. Wisdom is not merely one's knowing the truth, but it's their right use of truth given the way the world actually is. So you can say that there are three components to wisdom. There's truth, then there's action, and then there's context. So it's no good for you to merely know what's true if you don't know how to act in accordance with that truth. But then also, it's not only that you should know something truthfully, 
and know how to respond in light of the truth, but you also should know how to apply the truth correctly in given context with the way that the world actually is. Because it's one thing to act with how you hope the world would be or how you hope that it might be, but that's not wisdom. Wisdom would say, I need to act with the way the world actually is. And that's how you see a lot of the Proverbs speak, is the way the world actually is, not an idealistic version of the world. Far too often, especially in our culture and especially among young people, they talk and act as if they want the world to be a certain way. But that's not wisdom. Wisdom says, how is the world now and how can I respond in the world now in light of what's true and in light of what the truth tells me I should do? So that's wisdom. Okay, so now let's look at the text that I say, that, that I think Proverbs uses as sort of this admonition to break down two people as to those who respond to wisdom and those who do not. So listen, this is our text, Proverbs 6, verses 20 to 23. Remember, here King Solomon is ad, ad, admonishing his sons. He's trying to train them in wisdom. Listen to what he says. My son, keep your father's commandment and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So in these three verses, we find a summary of Solomon's admonitions to his sons in those first nine chapters. That is, he's telling them they must diligently heed their parents' words of instruction. And therein lies the heart of wisdom. Because wisdom, friends, consists in great part in your obedience to God's commands. Wisdom, as the scriptures would have it, consists in very great part to your willingness to obey what God says which Solomon, I believe, had then distilled into wise sayings as to how the wise son could live out God's commands in the world that actually is. That's what Solomon is saying. So he's telling his sons, I'm going to give you wisdom because this is going to help you obey God's commands in all of life. And if you do that, son, you will be wise. So then do you see this, these Several verses highlight explicitly and then implicitly there are two kinds of sons that Solomon's speaking to that are defined by the response to what their father says. First is the clear son we have in this text. It's the good son. It's the wise son who in these verses is explicitly described as responding positively to his father's instruction. The good son keeps his father's commands. He heeds his mother's moral instruction. The wise son walks throughout his day with these wise commands in mind. These commands his father has given him leads the good son throughout his life. For the wise son holds them so close to his heart, it is as if he rises with them in the morning and goes to sleep with them in the evening. He mulls over his father's commands. He meditates upon them in his heart. For the good son, for the wise son, his father's wise instruction is his very way of life. That's the first son. But do you see that in this text, 
There's a second son. There's one that's implied here. It's the bad son. It's the foolish son. In this verse, in these verses, this bad son is described as one who would not heed his father's instruction. He would not heed wisdom's instruction. The bad son of the king does not keep his father's commandments. He does not heed his mother's moral instruction. The foolish son does not walk throughout his day with these wise commands in mind. Further, these commands do not lead the foolish son throughout his life because he does not hold them close to his heart. Wisdom and its obedience is not what rises with him in the morning and goes with him to bed at the evening. Because the bad son, the foolish son, does not mull over wisdom. He does not consider his father's instructions. He does not meditate upon what his mother has taught him. For the foolish son, wisdom and its instruction is not the way of his life. So let me summarize what I think these several verses are teaching us, and it's this. The wise individual, friends, is defined by their obedience to wisdom's instruction in all aspects of their life. The wise individual is defined by their obedience to wisdom's instructions in all aspects of their life. While correspondingly, the foolish individual is defined by their disobedience to wisdom's instruction in all aspects of their life. That's what these verses teach us. But you may be asking a very good question. How do these verses apply to me? That's fair, because you're not a son of the king, right? You're not King Solomon's son or daughter, but you need to remember that we too, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we have a heavenly father. And this father of ours is king over all the earth. And in this king are hidden, it says, all wisdom and all knowledge. And we sinners, though we are, have been called children of the king. Yes, friends, those who are in Christ are sons and daughters of the most high. For those who believe in the gospel of Christ, the scriptures say they are God's children. And get this, the scriptures say that not only are you God's children, you are fellow co-heirs with Christ who will reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. So it sounds like we're going to be kings and queens, does it not? So we too need instruction in the way of wisdom. And our heavenly father has given us the way of wisdom. He also admonishes us to obey his commands. He calls us Christians to not forget his instruction. He beckons us to live a life of obedience and wisdom. For would that not be fitting for those whom the scripture describes as those who will rule the nations with rods of iron and those whom the apostle Paul says will judge the angels? Do not such people need wisdom? So friends, do not think that Solomon's petition to his sons here to obey wisdom's call, to heed the father's instructions, to listen to their mother's commands, do not apply to you. For through Solomon's very mouth, I am trying to get you to see, Christian, that your heavenly king appeals to you. He wants you to not fail to obey his wise commands. So then understand that you too have a choice to make. Will you be the good child who walks in wisdom's way of obedience? Or will you be the bad child who does not walk in the way of wisdom's obedience, but who instead would walk on the path of folly 
and lead to destruction? That's the question before you. So, you should hear with great earnestness how Proverbs describes the foolish and the wise because such truths apply to us today. And so now I want to move to the second part. How does Proverbs describe these two individuals? Now there is much I could say about what Proverbs says about the wise and what Proverbs says about the foolish. I only have so much time and I only can give you so many verses. Even now I'm going to give you more than you may be able to handle. But you're smart, you're in college, you can track with me. Okay? So just listen. I'm not going to explain each of them. I'm just going to read them and give one sentence explanation. And I think the impact of these should be felt in your heart. Okay? So what does Proverbs say about the foolish? It says the foolish do not desire wisdom. It says this in Proverbs 1. Fools despise wisdom. The fools despise wisdom. Second, the foolishness of the fools proves their destruction. Proverbs 8 says this. He who fails to find wisdom injures himself. All who hate wisdom love death. The foolishness of the fool gets them into trouble. Proverbs says this in Proverbs 29, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. A fool's lips, look at this, walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. The fool, it says in Proverbs 12, does not seek advice. It says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. The fool, the proverb says, think they know it all. Listen to this, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only, only in expressing their opinion. A fool, it says, trusts in his own mind. The fool, it says, makes light of their wickedness. Listen to this in Proverbs 10, doing wrong is like a joke to the fool. The fool is reckless, they're careless, they do not turn away from evil. The fool, the scriptures say, are defined by their wickedness. Psalm 14 says very famously, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then look at what it says then after. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. That's how the Bible describes the fool. But what does Proverbs say about the wise? Listen to how it describes the wise. First, they seek wisdom. It says this in Proverbs 4, for they understand that the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. So the wise yearn for instruction. It says this in Proverbs 2, they call out for insight. They raise their voice for understanding. They seek it like hidden treasure. The wise also know that wisdom improves their life and lengthens it. It says this, that they know that God's commandments add length of days and years to life and peace to them. It says in Proverbs 8, whoever finds wisdom finds life. The wise also know that they should not be wise in their own sight, nor should they act as if they know more than they do. It says this in Proverbs 3 very famously, trust in the Lord with your whole heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. It says, be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. For a wise man listens to advice, 
The wise person is blessed by following wisdom. It says, blessed are those who keep wisdom's ways. Blessed are those who listen to wisdom. And the wise, it says, also live morally upright lives because they keep wisdom's teachings within their heart. They keep their heart with all vigilance. They put away crooked speech. Their eyes look directly forward. They ponder the path of their feet. They do not swerve to the right or the left. Their feet turn away from evil. So friends, you can see that even in this brief survey, we hear why Proverbs values wisdom so highly. For wisdom is not merely one aspect of your mental or emotional state, but wisdom Wisdom is one of the key components of a flourishing, spirit-filled life. For wisdom is the way that God will train you in godliness. Wisdom is the way that he will grow you in holiness so that you can learn to live as light and salt in the way the world actually is. That's why wisdom is so important. So then third, how do we gain wisdom? How do we gain wisdom? Well, first, kind of counterintuitively, we need to recognize that we cannot attain wisdom on our own. We cannot attain wisdom on our own apart from the grace of God. For in our sinful state, the Bible says we are naturally foolish. Did you know that? That that's one of the ways the Bible describes us as lost in our sin. Paul says this in Titus 3.3, describing Christians. We ourselves, before Christ, were once foolish. So part of the way Paul would describe Christians is that they were once foolish. And then he says this in Ephesians 4, talking about the Gentiles currently. The Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So do you get what the scriptures are saying? In your own devices, you are a fool. There's no hope for us. We are fools, lost in darkness because of the wickedness in our hearts. So then I find it quite interesting that at the end of the book of Proverbs, it says this, I am weary O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I have knowledge of God. For who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who's wrapped up waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. That's amazing. The whole book was about you need to get wisdom. And then it ends with you can't get wisdom. <laughs> wisdom needs to come down from heaven. It needs to come from God. I find that a fascinating way that the book ends. Because even after the entire book has just gone again and again about the importance of wisdom and how we need to pursue it, the author recognizes that left to ourselves, we cannot do it. God himself must reveal wisdom from heaven. So this means, secondly, if we're going to get wisdom, we need to look to God to give us wisdom from the goodness of his grace. So we need to look away from ourselves. We're sinful and foolish. We won't get it. So we have to look to God. 
who gives us wisdom from his grace. And isn't it interesting that the Proverbs say again and again that God alone gives wisdom. God alone gives wisdom. It says this in Proverbs 2, the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And as Christians, we have a beautiful truth that God has spoken the word of wisdom, the eternal word of wisdom from his mouth that has come down from heaven. John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word of God, the wisdom of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. It says this in 1 Corinthians 1 and Colossians 2, Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the one from God in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it says in Proverbs, we need wisdom to come from heaven. Who is he and who is his son? The New Testament tells us that his son is Jesus Christ. He is the wisdom from God. He is the eternal word of wisdom that God the Father has spoken from eternity past. He has come, he is incarnated and dwelt among us to make the foolish wise, to make the foolish wise. Did you know that that's a gift of salvation? It says this in 1 Corinthians 30, that through union with Christ by his spirit, we are graciously made partakers of wisdom. Did you know that? Corinthians says this, because of God, we are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God. That's an amazing gift. We were once fools, lost in foolishness. God in his grace spoke the word of wisdom and through faith in the word of wisdom, we are united to him and made wise. That's the gospel. So by God's grace, through the work of Jesus Christ, all those who believe on him can be made truly wise. That's the good news of the gospel. And then third, now we've been transformed by God's grace so that we become wise as Christ is wise. We can then begin on wisdom's path. Only then. That's the only time you can truly grow in wisdom. You recognize that you can't do it yourself. You look to God who's spoken the word of wisdom and then united to Christ through his spirit, you are made wise and then progressively growing in the wisdom that you've already been given. That's the mystery of New Testament sanctification. Holy, being made more holy. Wise, being made more wise. So then now we can grow in wisdom. And do you know what the first step in growing in wisdom is? It's the fear of the Lord. It says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It's a very important concept. If we want to grow in wisdom, and the first step in wisdom is fearing the Lord, what does that mean? I would say this, fearing the Lord happens when we rightly assess who God is and then respond to him in view of who we know him to be. That's what it means to fear the Lord. You need to rightly assess God for who he is, holy, majestic, beautiful, sovereign, wrathful, loving, gracious, condescending. 
and then respond accordingly, which, as the scripture would say, the only right way to respond is on your face, asking for grace. Nowhere else. So then this is why, friends, I think the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For it's only when we rightly perceive how bankrupt we are in our own foolishness that we would then get on our knees and petition the wise one for grace and petition the wise one for wisdom. For until that time, we are too puffed up in our own hearts to think that we need grace. And so it's there, saved by God's grace, that will have been made positionally wise through Christ and progressively made wiser through his spirit. So that when we fear God rightly, we would know that we cannot attain wisdom apart from him. There's nothing that we can do in our own. So when we look away from ourselves and our resources and look to God, who's the giver of wisdom and the giver of insight. So then now at this point, we've been saved by our sinful folly from the wisdom sent from God. And now we're being progressively made wiser through wisdom sanctifying spirit. You can then take practical steps to grow in wisdom. So that now at the conclusion, I can finally get to the very practical things. When you invite me to speak, practical is very last. There's a lot of Bible and theology that has to go first before we can say, what do we do? Well, now we know what we can do because we're sinners saved by grace, made wise through wisdom, who now through his spirit is calling us to walk in the way of wisdom. So then let me close with a few practical ways that I think you can grow in wisdom. First, and most importantly, pray for wisdom. We need to pray for wisdom every day. We pray for a lot of things every day, but one of the things we need to pray every day is, God, make me wise. And do you know that the scriptures have given us a promise? James says this, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. And what does God do? Gives it generously to all without reproach. So first, every day, pray for wisdom. And then secondly, I would encourage you as an individual and then you as a community, study the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. First, start with the book of Proverbs. When I became a Christian, the first book I read from cover to cover in the Bible was the book of Proverbs. I read one chapter a day. And that set my foundation. And I would encourage you, one chapter a day, you'll get through the whole book of Proverbs in one month if it's got 31 days in the month. Okay, And then from there, the next helpful thing I would encourage you to do, which is what I did in college, is start making categories of all the kinds of Proverbs. Okay, So there's Proverbs for how you use your tongue, Proverbs for how you deal in business, Proverbs for how you raise your children, Proverbs for how you act in relation with others. So then that's what I would encourage you to do, start making categories. So read from chapter 9 to chapter 31, and every time you see a new category, write it down and then put verses underneath it. And you'll have a growing list of what the Bible says you should do in certain situations. And then for those that are particularly important for you in your stage of life or for facing a particular situation, memorize those. Put them in your heart. Like it says, as Solomon said to his sons, meditate on them, walk with them, sleep with them, rise with them, and you will grow in wisdom. And then for those of you who are looking to know what you do as you look at the meaning of life, look at the book of Ecclesiastes. On its face, it seems like completely opposite of what the Bible should say. But when you think deeply through its message, it's extremely relevant. 
because this is what it will teach you. If you try to find meaning in what this world offers, it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. Life, that's the message of Ecclesiastes. Life apart from God is meaningless. But when you fear God and keep his commandments, he gives meaning to all of the seemingly meaningless things of life. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. And then for those of you who may be struggling of how do I think about suffering in this life? How does the wise person interact with suffering? Read the book of Job. Because Job tells us that sometimes bad things do happen to good people. And things don't always seem fair. But God is in control. And he's worthy of your worship and your faith. Job reminds us his plans are beyond seeking out. And as he tells Job, if I would tell you, you couldn't even begin to understand. So if you're questioning, how do I think through suffering in this life? Read the book of Job. And then for those of you who are single and you're trying to think through, how does the wise person engage sexuality? Read the Song of Songs. In a very misunderstood book, that song, that, that, that series of songs, the song of all songs, is a beautiful love story of the lover and the beloved celebrating the sexual intimacy that they can share as husband and wife in marriage. So that book shows the wise son or the wise daughter, how do I think about the erotic in this life? That's what that book would teach you. So all these books are extremely relevant as you think through how do I live this life as it is. Lastly, I would tell you, if you're trying to grow in wisdom, you need to seek out older and wiser individuals to disciple you, to give you insight and wisdom, because wisdom only comes from time and experience. So if you're desiring to grow in wisdom, I strongly encourage you, seek out older individuals, preferably those who have gray hair, because wisdom says that gray hair is a crown to the godly. Seek them out when you need to make a tough decision, when you're at a crossroads, when you need insight in life. And this is a very important point. Be humble. Be humble. Know that you do not know it all. If you know that you don't know it all and you're humble, you're teachable, you go to others for wisdom, you're walking on the path of wisdom. And then you're trusting that God has blessed others with more wisdom than you have. So friends... As I close, understand that there are two voices who call out to you tonight. They beckon you. They beckon you to follow them. One is the woman folly. It says that she's loud. She's seductive. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at the highest places of town. She calls to all who pass by. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says to you, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But friends, know that if you follow woman folly on her path to destruction, it says that the dead are in her house. Her guests are in the depths of hell. But there's another, there's another voice that calls in its lady wisdom. She says, on the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stands, beside the gates in front of the town, she cries to you, O men and women, I call. My cry is to the children of man. O oh, simple ones, learn prudence. O oh, you fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak to you noble things, and it will come forth from my mouth what is right. Take my instruction instead of silver. 
Take knowledge rather than gold. I can give you counsel. I can give you wisdom. I can give you insight. I can give you strength. For by me, kings reign. They rulers will decree what is just. I love those who love me and those who seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness, they're with me. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. Follow me. Friends, would you but heed wisdom's call? Christ, the very wisdom of God, calls to you tonight. He beckons you to follow him on the way of wisdom. For on that way is joy and peace and life everlasting. Won't you follow? Let us pray. Our good God in heaven, we thank you that in your infinite grace, you did not leave us lost in this world of foolishness and of sin, but you came and you spoke a word of wisdom, the word of wisdom, the word of life. Oh God, and through your spirit, by your son, we can be made wise. Oh God, and I do pray that for those who are here tonight who do not know you, that you would speak to their hearts, call to them, that they need you, O God. Awaken them from their graves and from the path of destruction that they're on. And for those who are in Christ, we ask, O God, that you would sanctify us, change us, and make us wise. For what kind of people would we be but wise that this world would see see us and glorify you in heaven? O God, grant us wisdom, we pray. Amen.